So the church is in a place in the book of Acts where it's not just adding, but multiplying. It's growing like crazy. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's what you want to see. I mean, um, healthy churches grow. Uh, th- and this is what's happening. They're, they're multiplying. And I, I love the fact that it says it's the number of disciples that's multiplying, not just people in the seats, you know. People are actually coming to Christ. They're coming to know God personally. They're learning to follow Jesus. And even with all this health, though, doesn't mean there's not going to be problems. They came up with some pretty significant problems. There were issues here. There were tensions going on, and they had to kind of solve what these tensions were. And what we want to do is kind of look tonight and see how do they solve these tensions? How do they deal with the things, these problems that were coming from this massive growth that was taking place? And so I'm going to give you basic three basic things we're going to talk about. And the first is this. We see that what they did is they prioritized their legitimate needs. And we, we see in verse 1 where it says that the problem that was going on there was there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. And you have to understand who these two groups of people are. The Hebrews were, of course, Hebrew Christians. These would have been Jewish people who grew up, Israelites who grew up in Jerusalem. They grew up with a Jewish culture. They were probably those that didn't sort of, uh, they weren't influenced by the common Greek culture of the day. They were stricter into their own culture, keeping their own culture of Judaism. But they had become believers of Jesus. They had started following Jesus. Now, the Hellenists were also Jews. These were Israelites. They were Jews. Uh, Ethnically, they would have been Jewish. But these probably did not grow up in Jerusalem. Or if they did, they were more influenced by the Greek culture. They were called Hellenists because they were influenced by, that's another word for for someone who's influenced by the Greek culture. And so the, the, the problem they had here was not that they weren't of the same uh, race. They were both uh, Israelites or Jewish. The problem was not that they weren't of the same faith. They both believed in Jesus, but there was a cultural tension here. They saw things a bit differently. They, 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 didn't, they didn't, they had suspicions towards one another because of the cultural differences. And it's important that we, we see this, that even when God's doing something great, even when a lot of people are becoming Christians and and, you know, there's a, there's a move that you can't deny as of God. There's still going to be conflicts, specifically conflicts like cultural conflicts. Um, it's one of the things that we, we do have to wrestle through in our church from time to time. We have, as you probably know, we have a, a, a large group of Hungarians, Roma Hungarians specifically. Uh, so there were what a lot of times people call them gypsies, but they're actually their own sort of uh, ethnicity, the Roma people. And so they come over here. They, they leave hungry, looking for a, a better life, looking for jobs. They come over here. Um, and and uh, they don't speak English. Uh, they do speak Hungarian, but even the other Hungarians kind of see them as, well, you're gypsies, you're kind of out there, and they really struggle. And then a whole bunch of them get saved and come to our church. And so they're at our church, and they're kind of thinking, okay, we want to follow Jesus, but they can't talk to anybody. No one can really talk to them, and it's an awkward thing. And so <clears throat> these, are, these are things that kind of happen in churches, especially a church like ours. It's quite multicultural. You can have cultural conflicts. And so the church had a legitimate need here. They had to kind of deal with this cultural tension that was coming on. They couldn't just ignore it and just kind of go, well, we're going to just do what we do and hopefully it'll work itself out. They had to deal with the problem. Specifically, what was going on was that the uh, Hellenists thought that the Hebrews were not giving them their fair share of the daily distribution. Now, if you remember from back in chapter 4, that it talks about, in fact, you can turn back there quickly in chapter 4, 
In verse 32, it talks about when this multitude of believers were all together, they're of one heart, they're of one soul, they're enjoying this amazing sort of like-mindedness and unity. And that that was showing itself in the fact that it says in verse 32 that neither did anyone say of of any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Uh, They they basically were taking their possessions, they were selling their houses and lands, putting them all into, laying them at the uh, apostles' feet and saying, look, whoever has need here in Jerusalem, just hand it out to him. Just give it to the other believers who who have more need than us. As we talked about back in chapter 4, a big part of that was uh, because they thought Jesus could come back any time. They knew he'd come back to Jerusalem. So they're kind of like, well, let's just kind of do what we can do to stay here and stay together. Well, that real glorious unity, that this desire to be together, to even <laughs> sell what you own and put it into one pot so that you can be together, that's being threatened by this, um, by this cultural division. And we've got to take this threat seriously. We've got to understand this is a th- serious threat because it's not just about... Uh, this idea of favoritism or, or, oh, he got more than me. It's, it's way bigger than that. It, it boils down to what we kind of talked about a little bit today, which is that Jesus, when he uh, called his disciples to himself and he told them what was to be the distinctive characteristic of them was, was how they love each other. That they were meant to demonstrate the gospel, meant to demonstrate the good news of God's love for us through Jesus by how they treated each other. And they were doing that in a glorious way, and that itself was being threatened. So it's, it's important to think about this, because sometimes we can think about, and rightly so, we can think about uh, the, the reality that there can be sort of false teachings or wrong ideas about God that kind of infiltrate the church and threaten the proclamation of the gospel. And that's important. We should be concerned with that. That's why we're teaching through 2 Peter. But also we should be concerned with things that threaten the demonstration of the gospel. I mean, seriously, folks, we could say the exact right things to, to anyone who comes through the doors, but if we don't show that we love each other, well, who would believe us? And so this is why this is such a, a big issue. It's a serious issue. They see there's a priority here. There's a priority of, of course, as I said, dealing with the, t- the cultural tension, the priority of meeting the practical needs, but also, listen... There's a priority of the apostles needing to focus on spiritual development. Because look what they say. Uh, look what they say in verse 2. It says the 12, that's the 12 apostles, they summoned the multitude of the disciples together and they said, look, it's not desire, uh, desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And these are not guys being snobby or unwilling to serve or whatever. Don't forget, this is a time when if these were the guys who were doing a lot of the distribution, or they were the ones trying to at least organize it. You're not talking about a church of a couple hundred. Remember, at this time, there's about, there's about 10,000 believers in Jerusalem. And we don't know how many of them were widows or how many were, were part of this, uh, or were poor people and part of this distribution. But you, you can imagine it was a busy, busy thing, right? They, they, they were really, really busy. I thought, listen, we, we can't stop doing these other priorities, now, what do they mean about leaving the Word of God? Well, if you drop down to verse 4, they talk about uh, what they're going to stay doing. They said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, let's understand what they mean by this. Um, these guys did not lock themselves up into some little kind of closet somewhere. They were in a tower somewhere praying away and kind of being by themselves, Okay. But these were guys who were ministering to people through prayer, as well as, I'm sure, having time alone with God and together in prayer. But they saw it was a major priority to be praying, to take the time as a a group of leadership to seek God in prayer. 
It's one of the things that I, to be honest, to be transparent, I'm most concerned with with us as a leadership team, and I blame myself because I lead the leadership team, is that we are really good about being careful and conscientious, making sure we're teaching the Bible, making sure we're meeting people's practical needs. And we start all our meetings with prayer, but I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but we tend to sort of, let's pray, and we kind of each pray, and then, okay, now we're done, now let's get into the serious business. As if there is anything more of more serious business than we just praying and saying, God, what do you want to do? How would you lead this church? How, how are you going to provide? How are you going to do what you want to do? And the apostles saw this as a massive priority for them as leaders, is to set an example of prayer and to show that they were dependent upon God. That's why they were praying. But also this idea of the ministry of the word. Don't think of just this. You know, sometimes we think, well, that's what the, the, the preachers do. They kind of stand by a, a wooden podium and they preach. They all, it's all monologue. But the ministry of the Word isn't just monologue. It's one of the reasons we do the, the Q&A afterwards, but it's also why we spend lots of our time talking to people during the week, ministering the Word. And the idea was not just saying, let me give you some more Bible verses. The idea was, we want to help you trust the Jesus of the Bible. So we want to use the scripture as a way to show that he's trustworthy and for you to understand what it is he wants you to trust him for. And so they, they had this also, this legitimate need. They had to prioritize, okay? It wouldn't be good for the people. It wouldn't be advantageous for God's people if we stopped pursuing the spiritual development of God's people. So that's the situation they have. They have to, okay, what's our situation here? We do have this cultural tension. We have these practical needs that demonstrate the gospel that we need to keep going. And we have this, this, this need to make sure that we are helping God's people mature spiritually. So what was the solution? Look at verse 3. Therefore, it says, Therefore, brethren, they said, Seek out from among you seven men, and here's how to describe them, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of the wisdom. This is the second thing that I want you to see. First thing was, of course, they prioritized legitimate needs. They saw what these things were. The second thing was, though, they pursued God's resources. And one of the, one of the resources of God that is often devalued is godly men. And I, I would say, obviously, godly men and women, but in this context, godly men. We, we forget how important it is for there to be, specifically, godly men in churches. So when these guys have the situation, they're saying, okay, how can we move forward? How can we deal with these situations? They say, okay, here's what you need to do. And it's interesting because the 12 apostles, they tell the multitudes, you guys pick. You guys point out. You might say, you guys nominate. You can look at someone and know if they're godly, is what they're getting at. You can look at somebody and know if they are Mature men. Now, let's, let's take a little bit of time to look at this. It says, first of all, seek out uh, from among you, they say. From among you. In other words, pick men that you've seen grow. Men that you've observed growing in their faith and walking in their faith. And these would have been men who would have been, of course, taught by the disciples. So they were taught by the disciples to be disciples. See where we get that? <laughs> This is what they were. These were guys who were taught by the disciples to be disciples. And so when it was time for them to step up, they were prepared for that. But also they were to be men of good reputation. And, and this, the idea that, in fact, the word for reputation is the Greek word where we get the English word martyr. 
and has the idea that, not that they obviously died, but the idea that they were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. These were men that had a reputation uh, of, of saying, look, I, I'm, I'm sold out for the gospel. I, I, I'm prepared to take the risks involved. They were willing to do that. It says they need to be men that are full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Seriously, when we see that, what does it mean? Well, in part, it means that these guys were under his control. They were wanting the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to, uh, and to control them. To, to, I don't mean like possess them, but control them, to lead their behavior, to control their, to, to let God sort of, um, let God the Spirit uh, lead in the way they're supposed to think, in the way they're supposed to act. So they put themselves in their spirit's control instead of trying to do things themselves. These were also but men who were trusting in the Holy Spirit's power. They recognized they couldn't do what God called them to do. They needed God's power to do what God had called them to do. That's the thing that one of the things that makes Christianity different than other religions is Christianity is meant to be lived supernaturally. It's not just us conforming to a bunch of ideas, but us learning to trust a real God, the true and living God, and allowing him to change us supernaturally and give us power that we don't possess naturally so we can do things that we wouldn't want to do naturally, like love other but like love everybody. And so these guys were men full of the Holy Spirit, but also it means that they were not just uh, under his control or dependent upon his power, but also they were displaying his fruit. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, you guys got, uh, can you put Galatians up? I don't have the clicker. Galatians 5, you guys have heard this before, the fruit of the Spirit. What the Holy Spirit produces is what? Love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. These good fruits, this good produce was coming out of their lives. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing a work. It's God who produces that. And so when, when the apostles say, hey, pick these guys. I mean, I want you to think about these kind of guys. The kind of guys that have the reputation of, I just want to live for Jesus. The kind of guys that, that are known of being uh, are known to say, look, we want to live by his power. There's something strong about them that doesn't just, isn't just their natural character. Something about these guys who, who you see what's coming out of their life, and it's these kinds of things. There's love, and there's joy, and there's peace, and they suffer along with people, and they're kind to people, and they're faithful, and they're gentle, and they have self-control. So Peter says, these are the kind of things, these are the kind of guys that we want, these, these spiritually mature men. And so they also say they're not just full of the, the Holy Spirit, but they're also full of wisdom. These guys had a pretty big practical job to do. We need to potentially distribute uh, food to hundreds, if not thousands of people. You've got to kind of know your, your stuff. You need to have some practical wisdom. You know what wisdom means when we see wisdom in Scripture? It means knowing how to live your life skillfully. That's what it means. It means knowing how to apply knowledge that you have. That's wisdom. A lot of smart guys here in the room. A lot of you guys are pretty smart. How many of you guys are pretty wise? How many of you know how to apply the knowledge that you have? These guys were supposed to be full of wisdom. Now, he says, pick these seven men. And notice he says, in, in verse 3, he says, 
uh, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, I want to point this out because I think it dovetails in what we talked about this morning, talking about the vision for our church this morning, talking about how we want to be disciples who make disciples, we want to equip everyone in the church towards being those who can follow Jesus and help one another follow Jesus. Part of that, which we didn't get in this morning, is this idea that as people are maturing in their behavior, we want to see people raised up to be involved in leadership. Now, these guys here, in uh, what's happening here in chapter 6 of Acts, uh, they're never here called deacons, okay? But the role that they're fulfilling sounds very much like the role of what we would describe as a deacon. Now, I personally, my personal conviction is that it's not just men who can be deacons, but women can be deacons as well. That's my personal conviction. I think that's uh, totally biblical. And, and the, the reason I'm bringing this out is, do you see sort of how this, this, this seems to be working? The apostles are saying, look, there is these legitimate needs, but we can't stop and just kind of focus on that. So why don't you guys point out the godly people and point them forward out to us, and then we might be able to appoint them to this work. So there's the congregations involved in this, but the leadership still is the one who officially says, yeah, that's good. That's exactly how we do it in our church. That as we see people mature and we think this is a, a good person to move maybe towards leadership development, we pull that person in and, you know, we, we, if they want to be deacon candidates, we bring them before the congregation. We tell the congregation, this, this person really feels called to be in this position. And so the Bible says, let them first be tested. So you guys watch their lives and pray that they're like this. Men and women full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom of good reputation. Pray that they can be like this so that we can appoint them to this ministry. Now, so they say this, okay, and then, and then it says that what the men did was, it says that, uh, and verse 5, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and here's what they did, they chose Stephen, and we're going to learn more about Stephen later on in this chapter and in a lot in chapter 7, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, they called him, and Philip, we'll learn a lot about Philip in, in chapter 8. And then it names these other five guys, who I won't say their names again. Uh, but the thing is, we don't know anything else about these guys, except for this. What we know is that all these men, all their names, are Hellenistic names. So in other words, when the, when the whole congregation, not just the apostles, when the whole congregation heard, remember the, the congregation is probably put, uh, primarily uh, Hebrew not Hellenist. So when they hear that the Hellenists are feeling like, man, you guys are, are you're snubbing us. You're not treating us like we're equals to you. What do they do? They pick Hellenist men. <laughs> men who are, who are obviously godly men, but they pick men who, it's almost as if they're saying, look, we just, we, we don't want you to think that we have anything against you. We don't want you to think there's any sort of favoritism going on here. And just to show that we totally respect you, we're going to make sure we're going to pick guys from your culture to do this. That is specific wisdom for a specific situation. That is a resource of God. God wants us, listen, not just to pursue godly people, but he wants us to pursue godly wisdom. He wants us to, uh, he, he wants us to, um, yeah, he, he wants us to, to uh, say, okay, God, uh, we don't know what to do in the situation. Show us what to do. Now, go to the next slide, please. And the Bible, the Bible says really clearly, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So it's a promise. You don't know what to do. You have, uh, you lack wisdom. Ask God who give you wisdom. And this is the kind of wisdom he gives us. Listen, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. That means it's pure of heart, pure of motive. Then it's peaceable. In other words, it's looking to bring peace between people. It's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's willing to go, maybe I was wrong in this. You know, let's talk through this. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is the wisdom that these guys received from God. And it says what happens? It says they they set these guys before the apostles in verse 6. And when the apostles had prayed, they laid hands on them. Now, this is also a part of of, um, God's resources. It it definitely, spiritually mature men that can be, um, uh, spiritually mature men that can be used in ministry, specific wisdom uh, for a specific situation. But also, listen, um, the appropriate use of leadership. I mean, this is one of the things that, that can happen. I mean, I know one of the things that I've seen happen is uh, over the years in ministry, not just with me, but with lots of guys, a lot of times people, they, they want prayer, they want support. They feel like it's got to come up from, it's got to come from the guy up front. It's like got to come from me. Now, I'm totally happy to pray with people and to, to sort of meet with people. I have no problem. Totally happy visiting people. It's all great. But seriously, I've had people who think, you know, I really haven't received ministry from the church unless John specifically comes and sees me. It doesn't matter if 15 people from the church came and saw them and prayed for them. Unless I come and see them, you know, that they haven't really received ministry from the church. But that's not good use of leadership. It wouldn't be good if I if it had to always come through me or even through, you know, Adam and the rest of the guys in leadership. We're meant to be a body that ministers one to another. And these guys are, are, are recognizing, okay... You guys pick them. Uh, we'll pray and, and say, okay, Lord, are we sure these are the right guys? And then we'll lay hands. And laying hands simply, all that means, don't think of any kind of weird, like, you know, they receive some sort of power when the hands are laid on them. It's just a way to show that they are officially recognized as representatives. They are officially uh, supposed to be in that place. But we'll lay hands on them. We'll, we'll officially say, yeah, these are the right guys. And we'll let them loose. Let them do what they need to do to meet the needs. Now, so what happens? They do this, they pray, verse 7, here's how, here's the result, okay? The result is this, they experience more growth. Their problems were caused by growth. Oh man, we got all these people come in, how are we going to meet all these needs? God says, okay, make sure you prioritize what the needs are supposed to be. And then they seek God's wisdom and, or God's resources. God gives them the resources they need. And what happens? They get more growth. But look at the kind of growth they got, verse 7 says. Then the word of God spread. It means it increased in influence more people heard the gospel because of this. Sometimes we underestimate how important the practical is for the spreading of the gospel. We, we think, okay, as long as the, the, the preaching's okay, and maybe we've got a decent worship band, then the gospel will go out. And we forget, no, how do we practically meet one another's needs, meet, meet the needs of those around us? That makes a huge difference to the gospel going out. Seriously, uh, she, hopefully she won't listen to this because she'll get embarrassed, but seriously, uh, all that Kelly does, if Kelly stopped doing that and we didn't have a replacement, we would be in big trouble. I mean, the, what she does in two, two days is amazing. Poor Ollie, who's going to take her place, he's like, oh my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> what did I sign up for? <laughs> There's some serious amount of admin practical work that has to be done just to keep us moving forward on a week-to-week basis. 
And we can underestimate how important that is for the gospel going out. But when it happened, what happens? The gospel went out further. The influence of the gospel spread. It says also, listen, notice, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You know what that means? The home church grew. In other words, as they're going, okay, the church is growing, and um, we're going to see soon the church is going to begin to spread out. But what's happening as that church that's, that is in Jerusalem sends out and invests in people outside of itself, what happens? It grows. The church grows. This is why we, we talked about mission. We had Mission Sunday today. We want you guys to see, and we, I didn't mention it today, but you, uh, you probably know that you know more than 20% of our income goes to missions outside of our church. Because we, we know that God wants us to invest in the outside. He wants us to esteem others as better than ourselves and invest in the outside. And we believe this. We do that. God's going to grow our church. He's going to help us mature spiritually and see more people get saved. But also, this is the one that really blows me away. It says in verse 7, And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know what it's a reference to? Remember these guys that were sort of part of the Sanhedrin. We've read about these guys earlier in Acts, these guys that seem to be enemies of the gospel. When they see the church being the church, overcoming their problems in, 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 in the, by the resources of God, they think, well, okay, maybe we were wrong. Those guys really do know the gospel. Maybe that is the gospel. Maybe we had it wrong. In other words, what happens is the larger religious community, you could say, uh, was positively impacted. I'll close with this story. When I was doing youth work in the States, uh, and our youth group was growing a lot. We had a, uh, kind of, we were part of a smallish church, and we had a really, really big youth group. And most of the kids in our youth group were from, uh, not from churches. They were just off the street, you might say. And the church was, uh, the youth group was really growing. God was doing some pretty cool stuff. I mean, the newspaper was coming and taking pictures. It was that kind of a big of a deal. And um, it was exciting. It was an exciting time. But we did, have, um, we did have these problems. And one of the problems we had was that uh, a lot of the kids that were coming had maybe visited other youth groups or uh, maybe their parents went to some small church that didn't have a youth group. And they were coming to our youth group and they were hearing the Word of God. They were hearing Bible studies. They were hearing about Jesus. And they were really growing. They were really changing. And what happened is some of the other youth groups were getting frustrated with us because our youth group was the biggest youth group in that county. Uh, it was a small county. <laughs> and, uh, and they were kind of going, hey, what are you guys doing? And what's happening over there? And these kids are, are always wanting to read their Bibles and stuff. And they would go to their little campus clubs and they, and they would, someone would kind of give a light little message, you know, at their little campus Christian club and say something along the lines of, you know, you know, just something simple like, hey, God loves you. We're glad you're here. Here's a free hot dog. Yee-hee. You know, that was kind of their big thing. And, and the kids that were coming out of our youth group were going, hey, uh, can I share some verses that God really spoke to me from? And they're sharing this. And the other youth workers are getting frustrated. They're getting like, what's the deal? And so they started talking to one of the guys that was my boss, because I was also working for Youth for Christ at the time. And, and they started kind of complaining to him. And, and, and he said, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing that's making this youth group grow? Because these guys are getting frustrated, and they're wondering what's going on. And I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm just giving them Jesus. And what ended up happening is, is as the church grew, and as we tried to deal with sort of the politics that were coming up with that, we tried to be gracious and, and kind with people. What ended up happening is people realized we weren't trying, I wasn't trying to build my own kingdom. We weren't trying to make a name for ourselves. We really wanted to just get Jesus out of there. 
And people started then legitimately watching what was happening. And, and it was really cool because some of the other youth groups realized that they were underestimating what their young people could handle. They thought that the young people in their youth groups could not handle being taught the scriptures. But they could. <laughs> they could. They wanted to know, hey, you're telling us to believe in the Jesus of this Bible, but you never tell us what this Bible actually says. We want to know if we can trust this Jesus of this Bible, that we're actually hearing about this Jesus of this Bible. In fact, one of the guys, he's a, he's a friend of mine to this day, one of the guys, uh, he was a brilliant uh, at, at events, amazing. He put on some of the most amazing youth events. I'll tell you about them afterwards if you want to know it. Just amazing youth events. And, um, but he, he, most of his messages, most of the things he did as far as teaching was really fluffy. And he was kind of frustrated. He was one of the guys that looked into stuff. And he ended up realizing he could teach uh, the kids better. And he began to teach the kids verse by verse. And again, actually teaching what the scripture said. And his youth group really grew. And another guy that was in the uh, a different denomination saw what was going on. He began to teach his kids more of the scripture and they began to grow. And so what happened is even though God grew us and continued to grow us after that, he used that to influence other parts of the body of Christ in that city. In fact, it's really cool because today uh, of, of the, those kids are all, or my youth group, they're all grown now. They're in their late 20s and 30s and stuff. Um, there's five people on staff, on five different churches doing ministry who got saved in our youth group. And they're all different kinds of churches. Now, I share that because we, we don't want to underestimate what God wants to do. That God is going to grow us, and as He grows us, it is going to cause problems, but if we seek God by His resources to do things the way He wants, He's going to, he's going to bring an impact. He's going to bring an impact in the city.